Welcome everybody to this month's MITI Forum. The MITI Forum is the platform where we discuss MITI society. And I'd just like to welcome you. But before we go any further, uh, let's pray. Oh God of all creation, we do come before you this day, thanking you because uh, you have given us your word. And in your word, there is much truth. Indeed, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who helps us in everything. And even as we discuss this matter, we thank you that we can go to the scriptures and discuss it and be able to think biblically about this matter. Please help uh, these dear brothers as they explain to us or speak into this matter, that they will do so in a manner that will be profitable, not just for those who are here today, but for any who will tune in uh, in the future. We thank you for this time, and we pray, believing and trusting in Christ's name. Amen. Now, uh, as we begin, I'd just like to tell you that in case you're tuned in uh, on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, you you may be able to ask questions there on the comment section. And if you do, we will answer them when that time comes. Now, the topic for this MITI forum is on addiction. And the subject of addiction is a subject that strikes home in many ways because each and every one of us can point to someone whom we know uh, is addicted to something, one thing or another. In our country, and not just in our country, in other countries as well. In fact, uh, as I was preparing, I discovered that some countries uh, use the month of October as the National Substance Abuse Prevention Month, uh, which does point to the fact that this is a serious matter. And that's why we need to discuss it. We need to ask the question, does the Bible speak into this matter? And if it does, what does it say? And is what it says sufficient uh, to help us deal with this issue? And to help me with that, I have uh, these panelists with me. They are pastors of this church. To my immediate right is Murungi Igueta Karibu. Sante. And then at the center, we have Mark Mujivane, who is also a member of this church. Karibu sana. Thank you. And to my father's right, we have uh, Pastor Dominic Kafaria, who is also an elder in this church. Karibu. Sante sana. Yes. And I'm Paul <laughs> Keshungi. Well, brothers, uh, Let's hit the ground running. I would pose the question to you. So what is what would you say is addiction? As we are talking about this matter, can we define it? And also, can we talk about misconceptions that there might be to what it is? Uh, what do you brothers think? Yeah, thanks for, for, for that. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's important for us to clarify what we mean, because I think when 
uh, we hear of the word addiction, we may tend to just picture an alcoholic or maybe someone uh, addicted to pornography. And we have particular forms of addiction that uh, we mistake for the definition of addiction. So I think it's important for us to understand exactly what we mean so that we are able to, uh, in defining the problem, properly identify it. I'll use two verses in the Bible to uh, basically form the definition and then expound on it. Uh, Titus 3.3, Paul is writing and he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Yeah. And uh, Peter, in 2 Peter 2.19, says, They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Yeah. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Mm -hmm. So, in, I mean, I would venture that a biblical definition of addiction is bondage of the will. Um, and it's not to a particular thing, to anything other than uh, God, other than Christ. Yeah. Um, Paul says various pleasures, various passions. Now, to understand what that slavery, that bondage of the will is, I think it's important for us to understand what freedom is so that we can understand what that bondage is. And, um, you know, what, what would you define freedom to be or free will? I think the root of free will is in the nature of God himself. You know, God is um, self-existent. He is self-defining. He defines his own being mm. and his own actions. Yeah. You remember when Moses asks God, who are you? He's probing the being of God and God says, I am who I am. Whatever God is, is because of himself. And whatever he does, yeah, he does by the counsel of his own will. So that uh, the being of God and the actions of God have grounding in nothing else other than himself. Yeah. And, you know, we see that uh, experientially as, as volition, okay, behaviorally, uh, free will, okay, or volition. Um, now, man is in the image of God. And so we uh, participate in the nature of God to an extent. So we reflect the nature of God. Um, so although God defines his own being and his own actions, man who is created by God does not define his being. We don't define our being. But God has given us the ability to define uh, our actions within the limits of our being. Mm. And so we've got the capacity for free will. So for example, I could raise my hand, okay? And these brothers may ask, hey, why are you raising your hand? And they could say, uh, just because I've raised my hand. You know, I've raised my hand because I've raised my hand. I have got that capacity, yeah? 
But it, it, it's really important for us to understand the essence of freedom of the will that you're talking about, because any designing person can see that even animals have some some free will. Yeah. Um, if I throw a bowling ball down the alley, with sufficient understanding of physics, I could predict its path. But if I throw a cat down the same alley, <laughs> I, I couldn't figure, I couldn't predict where the cat will go. The cat will go wherever the cat wants to go. Yeah. And you know, we are physically not very different from the animals as as physical beings. And so um, we, like the animals, uh, we, there's a way in which we share uh, the same attributes of free will with the animals. You'll notice that um, the will of the animals is actually subject to their bodily uh, desires. Yeah, uh, The Bible tells us that the animals are creatures of instinct. So whereas they have a free will, their will is actually ens enslaved to their physical desires. So, yes, the cat will go wherever the cat wants to go, but it's responding to certain desires to find food, to find a mate, to socialize, whatever. All these things are re responding to its biological right. makeup. And in the same way, we also, our wills serve our bodily desires. Okay, And that is in itself not wrong. In fact, we have got certain instincts, some of which, and reflexes, biological reflexes, some of which we do not have direct control over. For example, if you've got a bad stomach, you know, it, it will cramp whether you, you like it or not. Um, or we may respond sort of in, a, in a particular way reflexively to certain visual stimuli um, without our wills being able to, to control that immediately. And so whether you it's food, you know, you see a plate, a delicious plate of food, and you instantly uh, salivate, uh, or you might see an inappropriate uh, image, yeah, and there will be certain physiological reflexes that uh, will just kick in. Okay, now you can con you can uh, resist the impulses, but they're just there. So those responses do not mean that you're necessarily an an addict or or you do not have self control. Okay, mm -hmm. we are physical creatures. God has made us physical creatures, and we've got certain desires, certain bodily needs, and it is proper, yeah, for our wills to act in uh, to satisfy those those desires. But you know, God is spirit, and we, in partaking of the nature of God, being in the image of God, we are also spiritual beings, and in that we differ from the animals. And just as spirit transcends matter, we have the ability to say no to our bodily desires. Okay, um, and I think that is a very crucial distinction between our wills and the wills of animals. And that's why you'll find you will not never find dogs fasting to petition the owner over some grievance. Okay, but human beings have the ability to resist. Okay, I want to eat, but I can say no. Okay. Um, in fact, it's very interesting. There's um, I forget some monk, Buddhist monk. I forget in which country. He sat down on a road, set himself on fire, and burnt, burnt to death, moving. Mm. That's I mean that's how incredible his strength of will was. 
You can't do that to an animal. If an animal is on fire, it's going to run uh, somewhere to get relief, okay? But human beings have the capacity to transcend our natural impulses. Now, God is also, um, is not only free, but he is, he is lawful, yeah? You know, the Bible says God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. But God does not, uh, I mean, he does whatever he pleases, but it does not please him to do whatever, okay? Uh, God, the way he has revealed himself, he has revealed himself with certain attributes, and he does certain actions. And so if God's self-definition, which is really what freedom is, that whatever he is, whatever he does, is by reason of his own being. He's not constrained, you know, like a ball is constrained by gravity or by friction and whatever other external things. God is not constrained by anything outside of himself. And yet he, as it were, constrains himself to manifest uh, in only a certain way. And so we can discern from this that true freedom, true freedom is lawful, okay? Uh, it is not arbitrary. It's not randomness, the capacity for randomness. Um, and God has acts in peculiar ways for particular purposes. Yeah. So true freedom is, is it, it transcends the physical and it is lawful and it is purposeful. Now that means that man who is in the image of God must also be lawful and purposeful in his actions. And man is bound uh, both by the law of God because he is, uh, his will is contingent, his free will is assigned by God and he is bound also by his own law. I mean, the way God has made us, we function as self-regulating beings. Um, and that's the reason why we come up with schedules. The reason why, I mean, there's no verse that says you shall drive on the left side of the road. But as a society, we have to come up with rules to govern ourselves. Uh, and if we don't obey those rules, you find that your freedom is curtailed. I mean, if everybody decided to drive where, however they wanted, our freedoms are curtailed. Yeah. So those are the aspects of uh, true freedom. Yeah. Now, in summary, then, what I'm saying is that true freedom transcends uh, the physical. True freedom is lawful, that it is it regulates itself to stay within the bounds of God's law and personal discipline. And true freedom is purposeful, yeah? And ultimately, it serves a higher purpose than uh, physical, uh, just to fulfill physical desires. Now, man, because he's still free, he has the capacity to transgress the law. Unfortunately, when he does transgress the law, by definition, he loses his freedom because as we have seen, true freedom is self-regulating. True freedom is lawful. So when man exercises his freedom to transgress the law of God, he at the same time loses his freedom. He loses his volition. And what we mean by that is that he dies. Okay, Death is actually the loss of volition. Uh, he loses that spiritually and ultimately physically. And so even though man is physically alive, having died spiritually, his will is in fact in bondage. So he may think he is free, but he's in bondage. And how does that bondage manifest itself, this slavery? 
first of all, it manifests itself as bondage to the physical, okay? Bondage to his body. And that's not necessarily, I mean, the bodily desires, as we've seen, they're not necessarily bad, okay? So um, waking up to go and eat, uh, to, to work so that you can get food is not wrong. Desiring to marry because you've got sexual desires is not wrong, okay? Um, uh, desiring rest and, you know, taking certain actions so that you can gain rest is not wrong. However, the will that is in bondage lives for these things, okay? Though they are good and legitimate. So uh, it could be, you know, slavery to things, uh, the desires of the eyes, you know, to entertainment. Um, it could be to, you know, the people who can't take their eyes off cars, you know, walking along the road, you're always looking at <laughs> cars. The cars are beautiful. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, but you're enslaved. You, mm -hmm. you just can't avoid, you can't help looking or at beautiful women, you know. Yeah, the eyes just instinctively, as long as there's a lady in your field of vision, the <laughs> eyes just instinctive. Mm -hmm. And you know, many of us brothers have, have struggled with these things, yeah? So when you're thinking about addiction, let's not just think about the alcoholic Mm -hmm. and the person watching pornography, yeah? Or think about something as good as food, yeah? Uh, either we overeat, or you're constantly thinking or planning to eat something nice, <laughs> even if you're eating just enough of it, yeah? Um, actually, one of the ways that you can know, uh, actually, you may actually be an addict and you don't know it, and one of the ways you can test is just ask yourself, can I let go of this thing? For example, can you fast? You know, I remember at the time here we were fasting over something and it was very interesting how, how easily the mind starts coming up with excuses, <laughs> reasons why. Yeah. In my particular situation, I can't fast, you know. Mm. Uh, so bondage to the physical, you know, the mind is set on, yeah, good things, but earthly things. Or secondly, bondage to lawlessness, yeah, because, you know, true freedom is lawful. And whatever God says to do, we fail to do, or whatever we impulsively fail to do, or whatever God says to not do, we, that we keep on doing. Okay? That's another way that uh, this slavery manifests itself. So whether it's uh, in anger, outbursts of anger, uh, you know, people say, yeah, you know, I'm just an uh, A-type personality. Yeah? But really, this person is, is in bondage to anger uh, or alcohol, drunkenness, or pornography, or whatever it, whatever it is. And finally, and I'm sure, I mean, we probably can make the list more elaborate, because true freedom is purposeful, the bondage of the will leads to um, a, a lack of wisdom and purpose purpose in life, or it manifests as a lack of wisdom and lack of purpose in life. Um, and so, you know, you might be looking at one thing you're struggling with, whether it's your mobile phone, you can't put it down, um, or whether it's overeating, or whether it's whatever it is that you think is your peculiar addiction, 
But actually, if you think about it, you'll realize that it's not just that. This, in all likelihood, the whole of life um, is disordered. Yeah, and so you'd find that a person who cannot control, a person who um, yields to pornography, probably does not control uh, how much entertainment he takes in, or doesn't also control how much food he eats, or has no control over his time. You know, uh, this person probably be given to careless speech, careless joking and jesting. Uh, so we might think that there's only one area of my life that is a problem, but if you actually look carefully, you'll realize that the whole of life is is disordered. Yeah. So it, let me conclude by saying, addiction then is um, anything that enslaves us, that keeps us from um, seeking spiritual things. Yeah, from seeking uh, the will of God that keeps our minds bound to earthly things, uh, that keeps us en enslaved, that makes us enslaved by our, uh, enslaved to our appetites. Um, whatever it is, it might seem harmless, uh, like you know, the phone, or like good entertainment, or even the news, or it might seem really harmful, like pornography and drunkenness. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so addiction is anything that enslaves you, your will, really. And there's a wide scope of things. Uh, is there anything you brothers would add? I just wondered whether you have uh, helped us understand what it may not be. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So... I think, let me use an, an illustration. Uh, so, in, in, there are certain things that are very addictive, yeah? And, for example, alcohol is very addictive. And so, in a culture like ours, um, if you are seen to be taking alcohol, you are perceived to either be very careless or not a Christian at all. Either a very careless Christian or... Uh, or not a Christian at all, yeah. So whereas um, alcohol is addictive and it can easily lead to bondage, it is not in itself sinful, yeah. And you know whether it's alcohol or any other physical pleasure that we uh, may enjoy. Enjoying these things is not necessarily a sin and is not necessarily an indication that we are in bondage to them. Okay? So someone might say, hey, how, I mean, can't you just avoid it? I say, yeah, I can, but I mean, it's not that, it doesn't mean that because I'm taking it, I am necessarily enslaved by it. So that's one of the uh, misconceptions that, that can be there. We can create uh, we can be legalistic and bind people to standards that the Bible has not set. Mm. Yeah, And we pronounce them as sinning and we think that they're in bondage when, they're in, when they actually are not. And in fact, uh, in Romans, 
we see that this, the strong brother, is it in Romans? The strong brother can mm. take can take meat, yeah? But the weaker brother who thinks he's stronger, he only takes vegetables, vegetables yeah? So <clears throat> he interprets the liberty of the strong brother as bondage, mm. okay? Well, what's in fact is the brother who cannot take meat who is bound, yeah? So we have to be very careful uh, not to write people off because of their liberties, whilst at the same time understanding that there are certain liberties that are dangerous or that may be uh, injurious to brothers. And so in the case of a weak brother, then you would have to curtail your liberties for their sake, but it does not mean uh, that you are in bondage because of that brother's conscience. Yeah, so that's one of the misconceptions I can point out. I don't know if you have another one, uh, Pastor Murungi. Um, I was thinking of uh, Colossians 2, uh, where there are all sorts of regulations there. I mm. do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, referring to things that all perish as they are used, mm -hmm. according to human precepts and teaching. Uh, that asceticism and uh, severity to the body is sometimes regarded as equal to godliness. Now, mm -hmm. the Bible does say that this indeed have an appearance of uh, wisdom in promoting self-made religion and uh, asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Mm. Um, now, I know of many denominations that uh, tend to this, this kind of uh, regulations. Mm. And these self-made uh, religions, uh, some circles, if you are celibate, uh, if you're not married, you're regarded as more godly, as spiritually, uh, as, uh, as if you're on a higher spiritual play, uh, level than one who is married. Mm. Um, and yet Paul tells Timothy that those who tell people not to marry are actually false teachers. Uh, in some other circles, you have uh, demands not to eat certain foods. Uh, don't eat meat. Uh, you know, avoid uh, nicotine at mm. all costs. Don't take tea or coffee. And if you do take that, then get it as equal to addicted to, the, to them mm. and therefore uh, either spiritually immature or uh, not a Christian at all. Yeah. And there is a lot of those kind of misconceptions where uh, human beings have come up with all sorts of regulations to other human beings. But but this is just self-made religion, whether it's even to do with clothing or whatever it is. Um, in, some, in some circles, you, you see someone wearing jeans and you write him off. He can't be a believer. Mm. Um, some other circles, you see someone going to the movie theater and completely dismiss that person as mm. you know worldly and uh indulging in 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 pleasure and passions but we need to realize that those are not necessarily um indicators of one mm. yeah thank you thank you for for that well so we've talked about uh, what addiction is, and I do, I did discern from uh, Mark's 
in, uh, answer to what it is, he did touch briefly on what is the cause of addiction, but could one of you brothers expound a bit more on that? What's, what's at the root of it? Uh, mm. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Mark, for uh, expounding that, um, what addiction is, and uh, then Pastor Murungi making it you know, more clear in terms of what is not addiction. And as we look at what causes addiction, uh, it is important that we, again, go back to God and creation itself. And you will see that God created everything. He created every atom, every substance, every molecule, every tree, every plant that is there in creation. So did God create the cannabis sativa, as it's called in uh, agriculture? Yes, he did. And God said it is good. Did God create grapes and barley that we make alcohol from? Yes, he did. And he said it is good. I mean, the devil never created any plant. The devil didn't create any fruit. So all things that are in creation are good because God has created them. And we ought to receive them with thanksgiving and use them appropriately. And we see that... Uh, for us to understand that truly the, the problem about, uh, about addiction is not necessarily with creation itself, rather the abuse of creation. Look at what Christ says. If you turn to Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 7, in your Bibles, Mark chapter 7, verses 15 to 23, look at what Christ says. He says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he has, uh, and when, when he has entered the house and uh, when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then, are you also without understanding? Do you see that whatever goes into, a, uh, goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, from within, out of the heart of man, comes, come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, coveting, wickedness, deceit, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So it is important for us to begin there, to see that. Because I feel whenever we, anywhere, whenever there is a discussion about addiction, we quickly jump to things, substances. This 
this uh, tree, that tree, this um, substance, that substance, we as believers, we as Christians don't start there. We will get there, but that's not our starting point. Our starting point is this, that the problem is in the heart. The problem is our own corrupt, fallen heart. And that is why, as Mark read for us from Titus 3, we, uh, Paul says, we once were foolish, disobedient, uh, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Why? Because our hearts are corrupt, because our hearts as humanity are fallen. So our hearts are the container of all manner of wickedness. And what these substances that are in creation do is simply open the box, open the lid and then close it or open it and open it widely so that all manner of wickedness come out. So what cocaine does is simply open the lid to your heart. What marijuana does is that it simply opens the lid of what is truly in your heart. What any sort of addiction does is to show you what is already lying deep within the heart. So what then causes addiction since we have seen that? Well, the problem is with our hearts. And I will look at three things, and I know there are many, but I'll, I'll just try and uh, summarize them in three things that we see that are actually now the main causes that, of opening up that lead of our hearts that then cause addiction, that trap us or trap people. The first one I want to see is what is the cause of addiction? It is idolatry. Idols of the heart. You know, we idolize comfort. We idolize ease. We idolize relief. And that's why we will abuse, and that's why it is called substance abuse. The, those substances are good. It is us who abuse them so that we can get some ease, some relief, some comfort. That is idolatry. The Lord has, in his own wisdom, provided certain reliefs for fallen man in this world. You know, although the world is fallen, God has provided certain reliefs. And some of these things are in nature for our good. And, but as much as these pleasures are good and God-given, there is still the reality that we, because we are fallen, we get ourselves entrapped in them. We get addicted to things because we want to escape from the harsh reality or we want comfort and ease from the harsh realities and troubles and pains of life. It is true. Life is hard. Life is painful. Life is filled with troubles. 
Job 5 and verse 7 says this, Man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. So troubles are guaranteed in this fallen world. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 17, All his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, sickness, and anger. That's our lives. I mean, our lives are all about that. It's pain because of the fall. It's hardship. We have to get bread by sweating. Sweating is painful. Bearing children is painful. Raising children is painful. I mean, everything is painful in this world. And in those things that God has given us some relief, we tend to run to them. And we end up idolizing that relief, that ease. And instead of man now becoming master to creation, man is actually now mastered by creation. And we idolize those things in creation that give us ease. So idolatry. C.S. Lewis put it this way, that the problem with man, the problem with us is that we are too easily pleased. And that's the source of our addiction. We are simply pleased by the high that cocaine gives us. We are simply pleased and eased by the pleasure that alcohol gives us. We are simply too easily pleased by sex and by pornography and the dopamine hype that it gives us. That is our problem. And we idolize that ease. So don't look at addiction as a sickness. Look at it as idolatry. It is an idol that you are bowing to it. It is an idol that you worship. It is an idol that every morning you need to bow down before it. You need to bow down to this idol five times a day. You need to bow down to this idol in the middle of the night in front of your laptop when no one is seeing you. You need to bow down to this God. Every opportunity you get, you take a sip so that you feel relief or you take a puff, idolatry. The second cause is fear. You might call it fear or anxiety, but I look at it mainly as fear. What kind of fear am I talking about? Fear of facing reality. Fear of failure. A fear of expectations. We fear the expectations that are around us. Many times the sin of addiction comes as a result of fear. This can be fears that are either caused by the society, uh, the demands of the society, or fears caused by our own weaknesses, our own needs. Look at, for example, uh, the fear that causes us to be trapped 
we are told that in Proverbs 31 and verse 6, 6 and uh, 6 and 7, give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Verse 7, let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So here is someone who fears the realities of poverty. They fear the realities of lack. And instead of working hard with their hands, instead of putting their hands to work, they decide to go the easy way. They decide, because I fear poverty so much, I will escape by quieting my conscience. Telling my conscience, be quiet, stop telling me of how I have failed. I don't want that. They take alcohol, they take strong drink, they drown themselves in drinks. This is the cause of um, addiction. When fear comes, you run to something. There are people, uh, you know, one of the challenges in the West, and I feel it's slowly coming to Africa, is that there is this big problem of um, over-medication, where people are, you know, uh, psychologists are putting, they're saying everything, every um, problem is a mental disorder. Uh, if you, 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 you have hands that have to move, you have a twitch, they put that as a disorder and they give you medication. There are people who fear standing before groups of people and speaking before people. And they medicate it and tell you, you know, take these tablets and then you will be at ease. That fear has ended up making people to be addicted to those drugs. Uh, I remember attending a graduation of a certain friend of mine and I realized that he, he's not a believer, but I realized that he had taken alcohol before he read his speech. And I asked him, hey man, this, this is your graduation. Why, why, are you, why have you, why can I, I mean, I can smell that you've taken alcohol. And he told me, you know what, I can't speak before people unless I take a, a bottle or two so that now I can have the guts to stand before people. Fear, that is sin. And then thirdly, and this is where other people get themselves caught up in uh, addiction, is negligence. So there is idolatry, there is fear, but there is also negligence. And what do I mean by negligence? It is lack of watchfulness. We do appreciate that as we interact with the world around us and the substances around us, um, that uh, we, we need to be careful that as we interact with the world, that we are ever watchful, that nothing in creation uh, enslaves us. We must always be watchful. We must 
never neglect or be at ease as we interact with anything in creation. Because whenever our guard goes down, whenever our guard goes down, even as we interact with good things, like electronics, like uh, books, like, I mean, think of all the reliefs and the good things and the pleasures God has given to us. We must always be careful, watchful. We must never be negligent, lest we be enslaved by them. And we see examples of this in Genesis 9 and verse 20. We have the sad um, uh, record of Noah. We are told that Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. Very good thing. I mean, we would all want to have a vineyard. But we are told in verse 21, he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, it doesn't mean Noah was addicted, but look at that danger of negligence, of not being watchful. We must always be suspicious of things around us and watchful that nothing enslaves us. Verse, uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12, this is what Paul tells us. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Paul is saying, all things are lawful, but I am suspicious of them. I'm always looking. I'm always looking at them with a very keen eye, lest one thing comes too close and ends up putting a rope around me, or like a, what is this huge snake called? A, a cobra slowly ties itself around me and sucks the life out of me. So be careful of medication that you're given, that it doesn't entangle you. Be careful of leisure activity. Be careful and be suspicious, lest anything takes control of you. Let me just stop there Ooh. for now. Thank you. Uh, so I'm hearing their sin is at the heart of it. Uh, our love of pleasure and ease also affects it. And also our failure to be watchful, mm -hmm. neglect of ourselves mm. so that we find ourselves mastered by such things. Okay. Uh, anything you brothers would like to add to that? Before we talk about the cure, uh, is there a solution to this uh, does the Bible speak into the matter? What, what does the Bible, and if it does, what does it say? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Brother Dominic, for, for that. Maybe I just thought it might be helpful uh, to also highlight, you know, the lies that people tell to justify their addictions. Mm -hmm. You know, he's given us the diagnosis. This is a real cause, but the people, but people like to come up with their own reasons. Yeah. For example, they say, um, you know, my mother died when I was uh, only young. I was very stressed, you know, so they blame their circumstances. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, what other things do people say that are, are not true? Uh, false diagnosis of their addiction so that we can help them to peel, peel off the, the pretense. 
mm. uh, so they can re- receive the help. You know, I'm thinking another one is, you know, someone says, well, I've really prayed, I've sought about this, but he has not mm-hmm. come through for me. Yeah. I mean, I've told myself that at times, Lord, I have pleaded with you again and again, you know, really saying, Lord, this is your fault. <laughs> <laughs> you know, are there, are, are, are there other things that, other lies that we tell ourselves to mask, uh, to excuse our addictions? Yeah, there's also the blame on uh, uh, the genital makeup, family, mm. like that, uh, you know, my father was a drunkard. What do you expect? <laughs> exactly. Mm. It's my genes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. People find a way of uh, skipping from responsibility. They can blame anything, everything. They don't want to take responsibility. And much of uh, what is called uh, psychological counseling does not help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because they go there and they are told, oh, this is, this is who you are. Mm. This is the way you were born. Your brain is just you. And uh, it's blamed on uh, others who may have been responsible for you to act yourself mm-hmm. like this. And your habits appear to have been environment, to, to be uh, uh, you know, influenced by your environment, mm. uh, your poverty or your wealth never seems to work, does it? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You know, all those sort of uh, excuses that are made. Uh, so everyone else is blamed except the one who is blameworthy, mm-hmm. the, the, the person front. And uh, we are not going to take that approach mm-hmm. in proper prescribing your cure, uh, we want to look at you in the face and say, thou art the man. Mm-hmm. You are the person to deal with your situation. Your addictions are not, are not going to go anywhere unless you deal with it. We can take you to the rehab. We can take you to psychologists, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, we can have you read books. We can... Uh, withdraw you from the city and take you to the shards and hope that uh, that will cure it. Mm. It, it, won't, it won't do. Mm. You have to look at yourself and uh, deal with it by taking responsibility. And that's what I'm going to tell you to do. Look, uh, in Isaiah 55, the Lord speaks to you and this is what he says. Come, does not address your counselor, not address your parents. He does not address your circumstances. He speaks to you. Isaiah 55 verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make 
with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So the first cure to your problem, my friend, is that you need to A, admit. Admit your condition is sinful. The problem is in your heart. Your heart is dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. You are dead. That's why you are unable to lift your spiritual finger and walk away from this problem which is in your heart. Your heart is stone dead. You're not able to help yourself. Admit that you are a slave. A slave to those sins. The Bible says that whatever enslaves a man, that is sin. And uh, admit that you are blind. You don't seem to realize that this is all idolatry. This is all self-worship. Don't don't seem to realize that this uh, this bondage and enslavement that you've brought yourself is only bringing more pain than solution. Itself. So so admit that this is sinful, and if it is sinful that there is only one solution to sin. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the foremost, is what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15. So that's the first thing. Admit that your condition is as a result of sinful habits. And then number B, beg for God's mercy. Mm. When you realize that you are dead, that you have no spiritual vitality to bring yourself any help, then you beg for God's mercy. You look at Paul there in Romans chapter 7, and he is exactly like anyone who lives here on earth. says, verse 13, um, Let's, let me just read uh, verse 15, uh, from verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. I, I think you can identify that with that, can't you? I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. That's you, isn't it? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You thought that he would excuse you when he said, it is mm. no longer I who do it. Mm. Um, then he goes on to say, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Precisely like any addict, isn't it? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I, I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, Paul is not excusing himself. He admits that he, the problem is in himself. It is in his sinfulness. And then he goes on to say, wretched man, Verse, uh, let me just read verse 21 through 25. So I find it to be a law 
So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? There he is, he admits, and he seeks for help. He begs for mercy. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Uh, beg for God's mercy. Thanks be to God who gives us victory in Christ Jesus. And having admitted your condition as sinful and having begged for God's mercy, then come to God. He says, come. And you listen to Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 3. Come is repeated over and over again. Come, everyone, come. Who does come to the waters? Come, buy wine. Come, uh, without money. Come. Keeps on, uh, on uh, being repeated. Come to God, your creator, for help. He who gave you life. He who created you. And gave you the breath. Because it's the breath of the Almighty that gives you life. He, he calls you to come to Him. And He says that He will give you a new heart. He will create in you a new heart. When David was, uh, when he fell into the scene of adultery and murder, and all that went into it, uh, God dealt with him. But in verse 11, he pleads with God and says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Psalm 51. And come to God, your Creator. Then come to the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, Redeemer for salvation, and enjoy that fellowship we have in the Spirit, the life giving Spirit with God's community. So come to God, your creator. It is only divine power, Peter writes, which grants to us all things that pertain to life and godliness mm. through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It is God. It's only the divine power that can de deliver you. There is no rehabilitation center that can deliver you from that addiction. No, it's God. So, admit your sinful condition. Beg for God's mercy. Come to God, your creator, for help. Come to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Come to, uh, to the fellowship that we have in the Spirit. You see, when you accept, you accept that uh, 
you cannot afford to purchase the help that's needed for you to be delivered. And you see, the general human condition is such that we all hope that there is something we can do, uh, that we can do something to get ourselves out of the fix. Oh, what I need is to raise money to pay for the rehab center. Let, let us do a fundraising and, and get some money and send him to this rehab center which promises this or that. Oh, someone else says, no, I know a preacher, a preacher who will deliver you from that demon. He will, you will repeat a prayer and he will help you. Oh, I, I, I tell you, it's, it's hopeless. You go to this preacher and the preacher tells you, no, you need to give me 100,000 and I will pray for you and God will deliver you. And, and so much money is spent. But no, you have to realize that you cannot do anything yourself. Yeah. In your condition, you are a slave. A slave cannot set himself free. You are dead. One who is dead needs external help. And so, in that condition, the kind of help you need is a very specialized help which can only be delivered by God. But it won't come to you until you feel your need of God. Until you feel that you are not, you cannot afford. He says here, come without money. Human devices may have an appearance of wisdom, but God is the source of all wisdom. And he has the power to do it. So accept that you cannot afford to purchase the help or to procure the help. And then bring nothing to atone for your sins. It is without money. And then that song which we all sing, Rock of Angels, left for me. At some point, Augustus' top lady says, If my tears were to forever flow, then he adds, All for sin could not atone. Thou, Christ, must save, and thou alone. My friend, you've come to the end of the tether of your life. You've come to the end of all your efforts in pursuit of deliverance, in pursuit of victory over your addiction. We sing, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded by the fall, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. He is ready. He is willing. Doubt no more. But then in that same hymn, we say that all the fitness that he requires is you to feel your need of him. Because he is the one who has atoned for our sins. And when we call upon his name, he delivers us from our sins. He came to destroy the work of darkness. So, bring nothing. It's without money. 
And having been delivered, having been uh, set free from the bondage, then the Lord also does, you, does give you a renewed mind so that you are able to chart or plan the path of righteousness. You're able to go to the narrow and the straight way that leads to life. Now that you have uh, ceased to be a slave to sin, or now that you've been made alive in Christ, you become a slave to righteousness. If you look at uh, Romans 6, Romans 6, uh, verse 15. This is what you read. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. <clears throat> For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you, uh, the fruit you get Lends to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So a non-believer, and, and I would say this is at, at the core, at the heart of all addiction. At the heart of every enslavement of passion or of pleasure, is unbelief. It's lack of faith in Christ. And so many people who are addicted are simply non-believers. Why? I have seen many men uh, who are addicts, drunkards. And the Lord saved them. And they lost, they lost all appetite. Or mm -hmm. alcohol. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, they no longer pursued those passions of the flesh. Mm. The Lord took those appetites away. Now, for some it was radical all at once. For others it was gradual. But the Lord did it. Some of you who profess the name of Christ and claim to be Christians, and yet you only learn to be hypocrites, are not Christians. Mm -hmm. What happened is that you went to a meeting where a false teacher was teaching. And he told you, you've, you've had the sermon. Repeat this prayer after me. He told you, repeat Lord Jesus. And you said, Lord Jesus. 
I am a sinner. And he repeated, I'm a sinner. And he, he went on to repeat all, his, all the prayers of his mind. Then at the end of the day, he told you, now you are a believer. Look for a biblical church. He simply called you, who is a non-Christian, a Christian. Because he's a false teacher. And so many who tell you to repeat those prayers are simply not in love with the Lord. They don't love his truth. They don't love your souls. And so they mislead you into believing that you're a Christian when you're not. Because we don't see the Lord teaching anyone to repeat any prayer after him. We don't see the apostle Peter or Paul or John or any other apostle for that matter saying, repeat this prayer after me and now you're a Christian. Say that in scripture. But the reason why you are stuck in your addictions is simply because you are, you have not been set free. You're still wallowing in trespasses and sins because you're dead in them. Ephesians 2.1. You are bowed to sin and enslaved to sin because you are there in unbelief, as a non-believer, as a Christian, as a non-Christian, excuse me, even though you believe that you have been a Christian. To, re to, to repent and believe in Jesus Christ in the, in the conviction of your heart, in the sincerity of your heart and of your mind, you tell the Lord, I have been out by these sins. Mm. You bring them to the cross and tell the Lord, help me, deliver me. The Lord is able to deliver you. But then when you've been delivered, He will give you another way, a new way. Having been made a new creation, He will help you to know how best use your time, how best to use your talents, how best to use, your, to, use your, to use your money. You will not spend your money on that which does not satisfy. You will not labor for that which does not satisfy. You will not spend money for that which is not bread. You will use, use your treasures in a way that will bring glory to God's name. So acknowledge then that you have been using the wrong methods, cut off from addiction. Acknowledge it. And in acknowledging that, I want to remind you of a few things of your life in your condition. Think about your losses. Think about your injuries. Think about your uh, the kind of unproductivity, the loss of relationships that has come as a result of your addictions. Look at those sinful habits. Yes, they may not have been discovered by anyone other than yourself, obviously, and God, but you know them. How much have you spent on that which does not satisfy? Admit that you've been wrong and in sin. And uh, uh, may the Lord then give you 
a new heart and a willingness to build new appetites by the help of the Spirit. These new appetites for your soul, for your life, do not come by themselves. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who comes in a, a person, in a sinner, and He regenerates, gives a new life, and enables you to turn off things, to put to death all that is earthly within you, to put away all those earthly pleasures and all those fleshly passions and to put off anything that is not of Christ. And you can read Colossians 3, 1 to 17. It begins with you looking up to Christ and it continues with putting off, putting to death, putting away, and then it, it continues with putting on, putting on. Putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then he enables you to commune with God. You listen diligent, diligently to him and delight yourself in his rich food. So please don't tell me that uh, you are stuck in continuing in sin and you do not hate those sins, and you're doing nothing about those sins, and you've continued like that ever since you professed faith, and that condition continues to date. And you tell me that you're a believer. The Bible says, in, actually it's the Lord himself who says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Mm -hmm. John 8, 34. And Apostle John picks up that again, and he says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. First John 3, 4. And in First John 3, 6 to 8, he says, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, that's not to say that uh, there is perfection in Christian. Not to say that I don't sin. But it's to say that I so hate my sins that I want to be rid of it as soon as I sin. I don't want to make it a habit. I don't want to dwell in sin. I don't want to be in bondage in that sin. So, my dear friend, as I conclude, let me give you pastoral counsel. I'd like you to do this. Review your past failures, your losses, your injuries, and notice that status quo is untenable, unprofitable, and shameful. And say, enough, enough is enough. Out of my bondage, failure, and loss. Jesus, I come. Review and see it's a past laden with losses and failures and injuries. And realize that this is untenable, this is unprofitable, this is death. And then receive by faith God's promises as yours in Christ. What does he promise here in Isaiah 55? 
new life, an everlasting covenant, his steadfast and sure love. Why, why would you not want to have those kind of things? I mean, who would be promised new life? The Lord invites you to come to him. Say, I will consider it. Let me think about it. Maybe another day. I mean, the Lord invites you to come to him for new life, for an everlasting covenant, for steadfast and sure love. And you say, I will consider that. Does that unless you are simply dead? And then, having revealed your past and received by faith God's promises, then resolve to live this new life by the power of the Spirit under the Lordship of Christ, listening to Christ, being with His people. Let his delights be your delights and his joys be your joys. Resolve to actually cut off relationships with your buddies, whoever they are. Block them from your phone. Don't go where they are. Reject their company. The Lord will help you. Seek counsel of men and women, godly men and women who will tell you to live for Christ. The worst enemy of your soul is a Mr. Procrastination. Lives within you. He tells you, well, what he is saying is nice, but you don't have to do it today. Yeah, you can consider it maybe next week after you meet up with your friends and you tell them bye. You have no time to go and tell them bye. Cut them off today. Explain yourself after a year or two. Just go missing from the company of the wicked because you're not going to find any blessing there. Someone says, blessed is the man who does not walk or sit, or stand in the way of sinners, or scoffers, or the way of sinners. His delight is in the law of God. He meditates on it day and night. Unless you're willing to cut off those relationships, sorry, they will bring you back to the same mire, and you will wallow there again and again, and your will will be subdued. Much of the addictions are really no addictions without some of the company that we keep. God has given you, as Brother Mark said, a strong enough will to be able to reject. When you go on your knees, the Lord welcomes you. He does not. He, he is like the father of the prodigal son. He sees his son from fur and he runs after him. So when there is that mustard seed size of faith wanting to be delivered from addiction, the Father in heaven sees from fur. 
and he runs to come in your direction and he hugs you, embraces you and slaughters a calf fattened for you. And he gives you that willingness to say no. But for so long as you want to walk leisurely with your company of wicked men, it's not going to happen. So that resolution to say no, that company has to be there. And when that happens, our Heavenly Father, with his, ten, with his sure and steadfast love, will make sure that he will come all the way and meet us and embrace us and give us deliverance. I think I need to stop there. Thank you. Thank you for that. So Christ really is the cure, and uh, we must begin there with him and continue with him. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much, brothers. Uh, we do have questions. And again, I'll say, in case you have a question, please share it on the, on the chat. Or for those of you who are here, you can just raise your hand and a microphone will be given to you. So as we wait, we have some questions here. We have, I have three questions that have been given. So the first one is by Obed Mogaka. He asks, how is alcohol taking not against biblical principles when medically we know it affects the physical body, including the normal state of mind, Whereas the Bible simply asks us to take care of our bodies. That's a question from Obed. We get to those three questions quite think about it. So uh, the, uh, the, the other question is from Apologetics Kenya Debates. Uh, I know the person is William, I know him. He says, he asks, what do you propose for loved ones who refuse help and also refuse the Lord. And then the third question is, what would you say to those who blame addiction to demons or being bewitched by their enemies and are attending deliverance classes in some of these churches? Hmm. It's an anonymous question. Okay. Um, <clears throat> thank you for the questions. Uh, the one on alcohol, I think there, you are right that alcohol does, uh, when you're given too much alcohol, it does alter uh, your mind, the way your mind functions. Uh, it does damage uh, your liver when you take a lot of it. But... <clears throat> We don't see the Bible criticizing or saying uh, no uh, testing of alcohol or taking of alcohol. What is forbidden is its abuse. So when you are drunk, drunkenness is what is condemned, not simply the taking of alcohol. Now you might say, well, how do you see that in the Bible? And we... We see it in various places. We see that people used to take wine uh, in those days. We, we do see, and actually this should be a helpful passage. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 21, 
you will realize that the wine that was being taken had, we are told, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another one gets drunk. So the element that they were taking, if you abused it, it would make you drunk. But Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians, no, 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 stop taking wine. He tells them, you are abusing the things that God has given. That's the problem with the scriptures on anything, not just alcohol. Are you abusing it? Are you using it properly? Is it starting to master you? Is it starting to alter the way you think, the way you act? That can happen when you are um, addicted to politics. I believe politics does change and alter your uh, mind. It does actually make you endanger your own life, isn't it? How many people have gone to crowds um, where they can get injured and gone for demonstration where they can get injured because of a political cause or a political figure? So I, I agree with you that there is damage to the body, but what the Bible condemns is the excess taking of it, the drunkardness. Um, you can answer the other ones, or that one also. Uh, be before uh, you leave that, I would also say that uh, the Bible equally condemns wine. Mm. Uh, I don't know anywhere where the Bible congratulates anyone for drinking. Mm -hmm. um, so, <clears throat> If you, if you read Ephesians 5.18, it's a very clear imperative. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Mm -hmm. But be, be filled with the Spirit. Wine is a mocha. I mean, the very Proverbs that you, re you read for us there, yeah. Proverbs that one, you know, Lemuel is asked, what are you doing? What are you doing giving yourself to, to, to women mm. and uh, giving yourself to wine? It's not for kings or Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. You know. So I personally would not encourage any Christian to taste wine, to taste uh, any, any form of alcohol. Uh, I, I know that uh, abuse is spoken about, but with this kind of uh, uh, alcohol, it tends to damage your ability to sobriety mm -hmm. such that as soon as you take the first one, it becomes too sweet mm. to resist the second one. And by the time you take the second one, you've lost the sobriety to know whether to take the third one or not. So you find yourself taking the third one. And before you know it, you're, drunk, you're too drunk not to take the fourth one and the fifth one. And so I would not advise anyone to take even the first. Uh, 
And I also speak that from a personal experience. <laughs> my father was such a drunkard. And he wasted away all his wealth in the bar. And uh, myself and my, my younger brother, we looked at him and made two opposite decisions. I looked at him and said, I would never ever want to be like you, my father. And my brother looked at him and said, I admire you, my <laughs> father. And as I speak, they are both dead. Mm. Both my father and my brother are dead. I would say because of alcohol-related complications. Mm -hmm. Now, I would also die at some point, but I want to be, I want to be uh, one who has looked out after the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, so I would not advocate that any Christian should begin taking any form of alcohol. I may be a weak Christian, it's fine. I'm willing to be a weak Christian on that one. Perhaps uh, as you're talking about somebody, uh, apologetics Kenya asks something which is related to that. He says, but Proverbs 31.6 seems to suggest giving wine to those perishing. It seems as though let wine be given, as though it's a commendation or something. What would you say to that? I would say that that, that would be the very, very opposite. When that, that verse is quoted with regard to our Lord dying upon the cross, he refused. He refused. Yes, he was dying, but he refused it. Now, the other thing to be said is that you don't want to be given it lest it appear as if you're perishing, do you? Anyway, I, 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 I wouldn't say that that is encouraging us to give it, but uh, it's saying the very opposite. More pertinent uh, scripture that you would use is when Paul says to Timothy, um, don't just take water, take a little wine for your stomach ailments, and maybe it's non-alcoholic wine, I don't know. Most I would argue that that's... <laughs> yeah, I think there are uh, possibly our, my take will be in our culture. It's dangerous because we don't have um, we've not been cultured to control alcohol. Mm. There are other culture, cultures in Europe, for example, where they can control their alcohol and even Christians partake of it. And Whereas I see the wisdom in saying do not even attempt, I think I would I would say, and I think Pastor Morongi will agree with me that we must also be careful not to condemn uh, those that do if they don't if they're not given to drunkenness. Mm. Um, but definitely uh, the wisdom is there not to don't expose yourself to temptation, and I think actually that's one very useful help, practical help for dealing with any addiction. Um, remove the sources of temptation. They will, I mean, if, unless there's a change in the heart, you will still look for them. You know, um, there's a man in Uganda, I remember it was, it was in the news sometime back, and he basically made for himself 
uh, metallic underwear and he locks it with the padlock and leaves the key at home. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can say I'll go to that extreme to avoid sinning, but really, if you have to, uh, what do you do when you have to, you know, unlock it? You see, so definitely the change in the heart has to be there, mm-hmm. but there is wisdom in avoiding the temptation. It is easier to fight to resist the temptation when it is when it is less. Um, there was a question about demons, and yeah, very true. I mean, we see someone in the in the New Testament who would cut himself and dwell in the tombs, crying out day and night. So there are certain um, impulsive behaviors that may actually be caused by demonic possession. Uh, however, the answer for the demon-possessed man is the same as that <laughs> for a non-demon-possessed man. Accept Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christ will deliver the demon-possessed man and Christ will deliver uh, the alcohol-possessed man. Yeah, Both of them need Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and that's the only help. Um, you know, the Bible even uh, warns, I mean, Christ tells a parable that a demon is cast out, out of a man and the demon goes around in waterless places and comes back and finds the house empty, swept, clean. Okay, then it goes, calls seven other worst demons and they occupy that house. So exorcism in itself doesn't deliver someone from addiction. If Christ does not replace, you know, that emptiness, that demon, that love of sin, you will find yourself in exactly the same situation or even a worse one. Mm. Uh, I also say that uh, most of the guys who say that um, they are demon-possessed, I would say they are too sober to know that they are demon-possessed. They are not. It's a way of excusing their sinfulness. Mm. And uh, the easiest is to blame someone else. If you look at the people who are demon-possessed in Scripture, they, 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 they don't come saying we are demon-possessed, deal with us. Mm. It's rather the other way around. And uh, how, many, how many people have I seen who are actually demon-possessed? I don't think I've seen any. Mm. I believe that the World Deliverance Ministry by too many preachers is a way of creating a problem in order to provide a solution for it. Uh, So say, tell people that they have demons and who is the doctor to cure demons but yourself? Mm. And that way then you earn money (laughs) out of them. Why do they not do deliverance for free? I do not know of anyone who does it for free. It's ever at a cost. So Mm. why, why don't you just go to Christ? and be saved, and be delivered. Christ is the solution. Christ is the answer. Christ is the only hope for all your problems. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think also, I'm glad that um, sometimes when we are addicted to sin, um, we become so enslaved to our bodies that the... Um, you know, the power of our body over our wills actually feels demonic. 
Yeah, because it's it's almost like you know there's like that verse in Proverbs that says of the young man who's being lured by an adulteress and says all at once he goes you know to the slaughter, and sin does that. It makes us irrational, mm-hmm. and it can so overpower us that you know after the deed is done, you ask yourself, what in the world mm. have I done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like you've been possessed by a demon. Okay, but it's wrong to blame a demon for you know for your own decisions your own sinfulness which has enslaved you so yes you're a slave to sin but by reason of your own rebellion against the lord and so still you have to acknowledge that i am the one who's rebellious uh not that demon uh not the overpowering impulse it is me who has to take responsibility for my sin and confess it and and cry to, to the lord for help and and that's why then the best description is it's idolatry, actually, because you have willingly given yourself over to whatever it is that you've given yourself to, whether it would be that ease, that pleasure, that um, escape that it gives you, you have willingly bowed down to it. And yeah, so it's a slave-master relationship. It's, it's not, and it's a master that you have willingly given yourself over to, rather than uh, you were going about your own business and then all of a sudden, 10 bottles of alcohol suddenly landed into your mouth. Doesn't happen that way. I, I, I've tried to read the Bible, see, I've not seen the devil do such uh, a feat. So you were deliberate in going to that pub you were deliberate in giving yourself over to that substance or you took that uh laptop and you went to a dark room and you watched whatever you watched you gave yourself to it yeah so just to back your point yeah i think um as as one who has um Bottled addiction. I just think that that's to help someone out there. I, I could say say this, and it just builds on what uh, you know, my brother Dominic and uh, uh, Pastor Murugi have said. You know, when you're thinking about Christ, <coughs> surrendering ourselves to Christ, and you know, worshiping Him, seeing His beauty. Um, practically, what that looks like. Um, one of the ways it looks like is this. Sometimes many people, they will decry one sin in their lives because it's ugly. And usually it's sexual sin. Yeah, uh, It feels ugly, you feel dirty. And so you cry for help. You know, I'm really struggling with pornography. I've tried to battle it. Battle it. I'm not gaining victory. But actually, if you examine your life, you'll realize that Jesus is not Lord of your life. He's not Lord of your conversations. He's not Lord of your eating. He's not Lord of your uh, waking up in the morning, of your time. You see, uh, many times when, you, when this one sin is hitting you hard on the head, uh, if you look carefully, you'll discover you're lazy, you're a glutton, you're given to uh, careless speech. You know, <laughs> and unless you, you, know, you cannot slay uh, one head of the dragon and expect that it's dead. 
you have to kill all the heads. You cannot ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of one area of your life so that you feel clean about yourself. And he's not Lord of the other areas of your life. And actually, it might help you to stop focusing on your pornography, your addiction to pornography, and start watching your conversation. You know, the careless words you speak, careless jokes, you know, sometimes. And it may not be nasty jokes. It might just be useless comments. You know, sometimes we like to say to be stupid as hell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just talking for the sake of talking. Um, or it might be just that decision, I will not eat an extra chapati. I mean, I really want to, but I won't. Okay, I'm fooled. I've had enough. And if you discipline yourself uh, to control yourself in those areas that are probably not as possessive as your sexual desire, then it becomes easier to control your sexual desire. You know, so that's one thing uh, that I would say I would advise um, those uh, struggling with a particular sin and making much of it. Then the other thing I would say, in as much just to encourage you as well, because maybe you're listening to us and you're feeling like what we're saying is um, you're hopeless. I mean, if you haven't <laughs> overcome this thing. You're really hopeless. And maybe you brothers can help me in this. Let me say this carefully. God works for good in all things. One of the things that my struggle with addiction worked for me is humility. Sometimes God will let you wallow in defeat to humble you, to make you realize that actually you can't do this by yourself. You can't get on a new program. You just can't make new resolutions and get on with it. You have to get to a point where you see your hopelessness, utter hopelessness before him and cry out to him alone. And so an encouragement to perhaps a brother out there who you're saying, Lord, I've prayed, I've sought you over this for I don't know how many months and it's not, you know, it doesn't seem to be, um, there doesn't seem to be any change. Be encouraged. The Lord said to the Israelites, he will not drive out the Canaanites all at once, lest the wild animals overpower them. And sometimes God, in his wisdom, does not make us overcome our sins immediately, lest we say, hey, I'm the man, I did it. You know, so to keep us humble. And God knows that sometimes addiction to pornography is, you know, pride is worse than your addiction to pornography, yeah. Uh, one, I have another question, but let me just add a few things to what uh, my brothers said. Um, so, so I think you notice that uh, we do believe that it's possible for a Christian to be struggling, and I am choosing my ones very, very carefully, to struggle with addiction. Not to wallow in addiction. But I need to make a distinction between those two words. Wallowing is, you know, swimming in your addiction and actually enjoying a level of pleasure in it and not doing much in terms of taking practical steps towards healing that addiction. But, and that, that I would say, that's not a believer, no matter how much he thinks he is. 
if he is sinking deeper and deeper into the sea of this addiction, whatever it is, I can say, that's not a Christian. But a true believer will struggle. He will fight to the point of even shedding his blood, even mm. to the point of death, to put to death that which is earthly in him. He will struggle and be strangled. He will throw punches and kicks. He is not going to accept to be taken down by this addiction. That's struggling. Now, there are times when I've had people say, I'm struggling, Pastor, I'm struggling with sexual sin. And at that point, they are, he is sleeping with his girlfriend in his arms. I mean, this is a very deliberate thing for mm. them to have planned for her to come and visit over and over again. And for them to say that they are struggling, I would say, no, you're not struggling, my dear friend. I wouldn't even say my brother. Mm. You're not struggling. You are wallowing in it. Mm -hmm. And you need to stop it. <clears throat> a brother will actually want to do everything possible to stop it from happening. He will put the necessary uh, parameters to ensure that they are not together in a private place. You know, uh, he, will, he will invite friends. He would even choose to go back to his parents and live with them. Mm. He will uh, ensure that he has a brother living with him to stop it from happening. And uh, so, so th that distinction needs to be made. That there is a difference between wallowing and struggling. Struggling is that you hate it and you're doing everything you can to demonstrate that you abhor this kind of a relationship. Thing. Thank you, brothers. Uh... There are so many questions in the chat, but let me pick one which I thought was that you haven't touched on. So you have given Christ as the solution for addiction, but then we have organizations which usually operate outside of the church, like, for example, Alcoholics Anonymous and Celebrate Recovery. And these organize or these groups or these movements would have people who have overcome addiction and not necessarily through Christ. They have been able to overcome their slavery to alcohol and not through Christ. So what would you say about such situation? Then also you can add what is the place of medicine, modern medicine and uh, psychology, these modern psychological things which help with those things which have affected the physical body mm -hmm. uh, on a medical man way? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I think if any psychologist or psychiatrist listening to me saying Christ is the answer, he would say that's a very simplistic uh, way of looking at it. Uh, you know, we have had Christians fall into this kind of a snare. Um, but I would say, before you dismiss it, remember who is the creator of the world. Ask yourself who upholds the world, the universe, by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3, it's Christ. 
So any providential circumstances that happen uh, in the universe being how it is and the way it is, it's the Lord's doing by his word. He, is the, he has the power. Number two, one of the ways that Christ does uphold the universe is by what is called common grace. Uh, he does give common grace to different people. That's why you have many, many, many non-believers who are teetotalists. They, they never, they've never drunk and they're not going to drink and they will die having never tasted alcohol, for, for instance. Or even having tested never, ne never addicted. Or even never addicted to such other uh, pleasurable, seemingly so, uh, addictions, even than Christians themselves. Is that to say that Christ is powerless? No. There is such a thing as common grace, which Christ gives to hope. And he enables people to be able to have a stronger willpower and so forth. When it comes to these organizations, um, I'm not in any way saying that what they are doing is not worthy anything. I'm saying it is like if uh, or even where a person was dead in scripture and the Lord even raised him up physically, like Lazarus, he still died again. Okay? So you may, you may be delivered from alcohol, but your heart <laughs> is still dead in its sins and trespasses. You may be uh, not necessarily a drunkard, but you haven't really received that which is truly life. You, you, you're still not a recipient of the sure and steadfast love of God. You're not uh, a member of the covenant of God. That is a greater loss. Now, uh, this organization, uh, they need to be commended. But in as much as what they are doing is good, if they would be honest to show the rate of success. So if 100 people enlisted at the beginning of the year, how many people actually are delivered who are still unbelievers? How many? And that, in comparison to how many true believers have actually been delivered from their sins by Christ. Compare that, and you'll see that the figures are quite... Yeah, I think I'll also add to that and say, you know, <clears throat> the point is not alcoholism. Yeah. That's not the point. It's just one manifestation of our bondage to sin and our bondage to, the, to our flesh. So, I mean, what's the point? Fine, you've been delivered from alcohol, but you still can't keep your eyes off women. Okay, so you've been delivered from alcohol, but you can't keep your mind off of money. Yeah, In the, you'll still be destroyed by that sin and you'll still come under the judgment of God. So we have to be very careful when you're thinking about addiction, about bondage, not to parcel it and say it's alcoholism. No, it's pornography. No, it's freedom to not only from our sinful impulses, but it's freedom to seek God, freedom to worship God, freedom to live for God. And if that's not there, um, any symptomatic relief um, is, in the end, it does not achieve anything in the end, yeah. Mm. But I agree that it's better to have uh, 
one less addiction in your bag of addictions than to have all of them. So for that, we have to commend uh, those efforts here. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you had said something about, what about the medicine, the now aspect where you give medication and it has a place. Um, <clears throat> it is a known fact that, for example, with people who are addicted to things like cocaine, um, there is a way in which if you immediately just stop uh, the circulation of that substance in the blood, uh, because the enzymes actually uh, are now used to it. Your physiology has changed. Okay. Yes, so you, you can cause someone to, to die, you know. Um, and what they would do is they would either give you in small amounts and reduce it in, in such an extent that the body doesn't get a shock. There are those situations, there are situations where, as we know, um, when people drink, for example, uh, methanol, you're given ethanol to, to displace the methanol, which is poisonous. So there are those uh, very specialized medical situations which uh, we, we uh, accept and we acknowledge that are there. And those would be given to medical uh, practitioners. And I wouldn't say necessarily that this is the area of psychiatry or psychology. This is a, a very medical area where a medical doctor has done tests and they have ascertained that this person needs this to help them so that they can save their lives, not to make even their lives better, but to simply save that life at that moment. So it's unique situations. Uh, thank you for that. I would mm. also add that uh, uh, much of my problem with uh, current psychologists uh, and psychiatrists is that they are too quick to diagnose a condition and give it a name. They're actually making themselves to be medical doctors, which is not the case. Yeah. yeah. So, so they end up with all these disorders. Mm -hmm. And then after having disorders, they have um, syndromes and all these, you know, endless lists of diseases, so to speak, you know, in their language, really, they are not willing to look at the person in front of them. They're not willing to look at the client on the face and say, my friend, you have a problem. I don't want that. They want to blame it on something else or on someone else, mm. such that the client can continue coming and can continue paying for their services. So all this classification of habitual disorders is simply the worldly way of getting money from people. I know a lady who was grieving the loss of her husband, and she went to one of the leading uh, psych psychologists in the country, and, and he, he sucked her financially dry. And when she was done, what he told her, go look for a pastor. Mm. So there, this, most of these... Uh, classifications 
really don't quite do anything mm. of the indulgence. True. Uh, perhaps I could just say one thing there. I know a lot of psychology and psychiatry is built upon the premise that we don't have souls, that we are just... Mm. We, yeah. we don't have souls. And so the reason why, one of the reasons why they would talk about disorders is because they really think it's a chemical thing. And so they would, again, and it takes away human responsibility. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there's a question here. James asks, what are some practical ways to overcome social media addiction that is prevalent in our day? Pray that Facebook and WhatsApp collapse <laughs> <laughs> in one day. <laughs> Uh, no, but I, I, I think we. That actually shows the level of addiction we have. That keep on multiplying. Yes, that when WhatsApp and Facebook collapse, you know, there, some people actually went into a, a kind of a withdrawal that was almost the same as cocaine. You know, they are wondering, I just need to get someone send send me a message. Uh, that shows actually that we, <laughs> there is addiction to that. Uh, one of the ways I look at it is some people need to get off WhatsApp and Facebook. It's, a, it's simple, but it's real. Not all of us, but some of us need to get off those social media platforms. I mean, you're ever scrolling on Instagram to see the next picture. You're ever scrolling on uh, Instagram to see who will send what. On TikTok, trying to see the next video after the next video. It has been proven actually scientifically that the, the level of dopamine released when you scroll is the same as that of cocaine. That's the level of dopamine that is released in your brain. In, in other words, you, you get the same high when you're just scrolling and when you are expecting the next thing, you have another dopamine high and another dopamine high. At least with substances, they will hit a high and then your body will start breaking them down. So get off those social media platforms. Well, the answer is simple. Just delete the app. Mm. Delete the app. That's it. About somebody who has deleted and then downloaded it again. <laughs> well, don't, don't download it. Really, I think it's a question of, um, uh, you know, Paul tells Timothy, and, and this is counsel given by an older man to a, to a younger man. First uh, Timothy, four seven, Timothy, and whoever is, whatever your name is, James, train yourself for godliness. Mm -hmm. Train yourself for God. <clears throat> That's it. If we are not prepared to cut off that uh, hand or gouge out that eye or do whatever it takes, please, we, we may not be going to heaven. Because I don't believe that there would be any social media in heaven, do you? So you, if you can survive in heaven without social media, why can't you survive here on earth without it? Some of us need to delete those apps as soon as yesterday. 
Mm. On a serious note. Why have we become secret all of a sudden? 20 years ago, there was no Facebook. Yeah, no WhatsApp. There were even no cell phones. We lived. We lived. <laughs> we lived, brothers. Some of you I know were not born yet then. I was. And I lived my 20 years of my life without any social media. God help you. They, they will say it's a, it was a boring life. <laughs> well, I doubt that. <laughs> I actually think that it's now more boring than ever. Mm. Because, you know, why not that we were speaking for the last two hours, I, I would be sure that we would be on our phone at one point, <laughs> calling someone, receiving a call, responding to a text. And, and the people who are right next to you become less... Yeah. Uh, less what? What's the opposite of boring? Less enjoyable. Yes. It's as if the people out there are more enjoyable than the ones who have come all the way. I mean, my brother has come all the way from Kikuyu. I need to be willing to put my phone aside mm. to spend time with me. Yeah. More than the guy who is calling me from the US. Yeah. They, you know, having said that, there is this uh, uh, meme that our society has been so addicted to social media that we plan and we plan and we plan for a get-together as friends. And we come together Only and everybody's on their phones. Precisely. You know, you so want... Which one is boring now? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, and I think, um, I would say the solution is also, to an extent, it's just the same as any other addiction. Um, you know, you have to replace bad habits with by nourishing your soul with the word of God, with meditation. And I think also one thing that we can say, uh, probably we have said that, but we need to emphasize, we need to spur one another onto love and good deeds. Uh, we need to encourage one another so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to be in the company of wise people. You, you see, if you're spending time with people who are using their time wisely for the Lord, uh, laboring for their families, Know, serious in life, you'll be you'll feel ashamed wasting your life on, on on trivia, yeah. But if everybody around is doing that, then you're comfortable, yeah. So we need to help each other. Uh, I think maybe we are not deliberate. We've not been deliberate to um, help each other enough, but we need to. I mean, if you see uh, next time we're in a group and everybody's on the phone, you know, somebody just shout out, "Hey, guys." It's not that serious. Can we put the phones away <laughs> and talk about something? You know, encourage one another. Maybe we can pray. Maybe someone can share a testimony. What has the Lord done for you this week? It's because those things are not there. Then we f fill that gap, you know, by just reflexively going back to the phone. Yeah. Uh, thank you, brothers, for that. Uh, there were some follow-up questions after, but I, I believe as you've gone on, you've answered some of them, and maybe we can work on answering them after. But yeah, thank you, brothers, for that helpful discussion on addiction. Uh, we praise God for it. Uh, perhaps I can ask Pastor Dominic to give us a final benediction, or if you would not. Yeah, um, I think what we what we can. Uh, focus on as we look at this topic of addiction is 
it is slavery. We must never allow anything to master us, to dominate us. All things are indeed good, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Not all things um, can, can help us to be focused, to be sober, and therefore let us always be watchful. Uh, watchful in prayer, watchful in how we interact with creation so that nothing will um, consume us or dominate us. Mm. I don't think that, if, if, if that's all you would say, then mm. there would be a problem. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, the problem is not, so, so we agree with addicts that we need a master. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's which master? Right. If you look at, mm. if you look at uh, Romans 6, it's, are you a slave to sin or mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Amen. Let's, let's look to Christ for help. Yeah. I pray. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening. We thank you for the time you've given us to look at this very important topic of addiction, Oh Lord, it is indeed a sad reality to know that there are those who are bound and they're in bondage to all manner of things, good things that you have created. Oh Lord, we ask you that you would save those who have listened to us speak, that they would turn away from the master of comfort, of earthly good and earthly pleasures and turn to Christ who alone can give us true peace and true comfort. Oh Lord, we ask you that for those who are fighting sin, for those who are in the trenches, even at the, who are even at the point of shedding blood because of their struggle with the sins that so easily entangle them. Oh Lord, please help them and grant them much strength. We pray that we would all grow in godliness, that we would all watch out lest anything master us, oh Lord. So please be with us and uh, we thank you for we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Oh. And also for you, brothers, we could not have been able to do this without you. So uh, from us, this is goodbye. I pray that the Lord Jesus will be with you and that you will heed all that we have had today. From us, goodbye.